Hello, welcome to Strange Love of Movies. My name is Livia Martinez, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Oscar and Emily Martinez. And today we are on episode 12 of our Coen Brothers series with, I would say, a lesser-known Coen Brothers works. Just kidding. It is literally their magnum opus. This is No Country for Old Men, which is a Western, sort of, it's a modern-day Western set in Texas. And wow, this is quite the film. In a lot of ways, this kind of follows the traditional Western narrative. There's a strong, silent type sheriff, and there's a, a villainous um, gunfighter in a way, and um, a lot of sort of dangerous people that are encountered along the way. But it um, is also very modern in the sense that what they're fighting over is drugs and a lot of the talk is about the way the world is changing and, and the West is changing, Texas is changing. Right, and the thing is, uh, there is a good guy, there's a bad guy, there's a very bad guy, uh, which we'll get to in a second. But then again, there's also an in-between guy, you know, the Josh Brolin character. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he's pretty handy and he can tell he's done some things in his life, but he's not evil. And, and there's, think- there's pure evil in this movie, with, played by Javier Bardem and... He was just amazing as, as the bad, really, really bad guy. I think that's also very typical of Westerns, too, yes, to have is. that anti-hero. You're rooting for the Josh Brolin character, even though you know he's done, he's doing something illegal, but you realize he's, just, he's ultimately not that that bad a guy. And what's so brilliant about this film and so many other Coen Brother films is that you just get dropped into this world and you don't know anything about any of these characters. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones, his sheriff character, he's who you know the most about just because at the very beginning he talks about how his dad and his grandpa were sheriffs or whatever. But everyone else, you don't know anything about them. We don't even know what Josh Brolin does for a living until three-fourths of the way into the film. And it's just really, really interesting because we immediately have to sympathize with this character who we don't know if he's good or bad. And we don't know by the end if he's good or bad really either. But And yeah, just like you said, he was doing something that's it's wrong, but he's not doing anything as wrong as what the other people who were chasing him are doing. And eh, it's just relative. Very relative. And you know my theory that I've said before on Strange Love where actors and actresses are, at some point, they start playing themselves. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. This is the ultimate. He can't get any more Tommy Lee Jones. In and this yet film. he does and a great it job. It was great. I mean, that's pretty amazing because he, he, he could easily have been a parody of himself with a strong southern, well, don't think we should be doing that, whatever. But... He was great. It started with a narration. He's like, oh, it's gonna nar- he's going to narrate the whole thing. No, it's just the beginning and then at the end. And he's a central character. But what's interesting, none of the three main, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is the, the sheriff, Javier Bardon's the evil guy, and then Josh Brolin is, is the kind of in between. They never have a scene together. Isn't that amazing? Oh, you're right. They never actually meet up that we see on and screen. You, and, yeah. and they may not even know of each other's existence. Yeah, yeah. There's a that's a traditional. It's it's in a way it's a, it's a traditional neo western in a way, but it's so untraditional in that you don't see the climax of good versus evil and what have you. It's all kind of nebulous about how things end up. And going back to the Tommy Lee Jones character, I wonder if. Yeah, I think that he is the best he's ever been here, even better than he was in Fugitive. I agree. Even though it's the same character, really. <laughs> because he is he is serious, and he, you know he knows his business, and he's um, really trying to, to capture this, this 
awful person, but he's also self-deprecating and um, you can tell just kind of, and in some ways laughing at just the, the craziness of the world. And I think that may speak to the quality of the script. I mean, I would not be at all surprised if the, and I should read up on the the background. Typical strange love, no research. Right, right. Actually, we did some, though, for we this. We did some, yes, and it's based on Cormac McCarthy's Yes, book. Yeah. yes, and it's definitely based on a great, on a really important, respected literary work. That helps. But I just wonder if the Coen brothers, I can imagine on set, Tommy Lee Jones, scenes being amended to fit his character. I mean, them saying, well, you know, let's let's have you say this right now instead of that. I mean, again, that's just totally imagining how the Coen brothers work, but it just seems like it. his dialogue is so go, so Coen brothers and yet also so Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, it's a perfect yeah. match. They're great. It's surprising that they haven't worked together in more films, but it's probably because Tommy Lee Jones has to play the sheriff in every single movie ever. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, or the marshal. And, yes, I, yes, and yes. I think the, the point they're attracted to the project because the book which I haven't read. I've read some of his books, but not this one. And he's known for writing really violent, really modern Westerns in, um, or set in the West. And in this case, um, it really coincided with their, get it, coincided with their uh, approach to movies where it wasn't linear. Like this happened at the beginning. Like you said, Liv, you're dropped in the middle of the situation at the beginning. And then throughout, it becomes almost like a chase film, but Nobody ever really knows who's chasing whom or where. And then Woody Harrelson just randomly shows up as another hitman who's, when they think the other hitman's not going to get the job done. And, and it was interesting. One of the things I read about it was that Javier Bardin and Josh Brolin, neither of them were the first choices to play these, which, I mean, they were so great, right? But uh, they would never know. They, they thought they were going to get fired the entire time. And then meanwhile, Woody Harrelson shows up for like three days and they said, oh, that was the best thing ever. They didn't get any praise. I'm sure they did that on purpose <laughs> yeah, sure. because it's the movie's so stressful that you got to stress the actors out. But yeah, speaking of, we need to talk about Javier Bardem because he's probably the most recognizable and memorable part of this film. That haircut. It's He would have been an iconic character anyway, but the haircut definitely makes him... Even more. What do you call it? A page boy or a Prince Valiant or what is it? Yeah, he looks terrible. He's so scary. He has like the palest I've ever seen a person look. He has that horrendous haircut and he carries that weird oxygen tank everywhere. And he is one of the brutalist characters I've ever seen on screen. One of the coldest, my, my most obvious psychopaths. Yeah, you'll you know ever something's see. wrong when his weapon of choice is an oxygen canister that shoots compressed air into people's skulls. Yeah, it's an efficient way to do things, though I will say. But really, he does so much more than you know, say like Jared Leto in what's it called, the Suicide Squad, where he's the Joker and Joker's a psychopath. Whatever. This is a different kind of psychopath. This is like a menacing cold. He doesn't have to say a lot for you to know, oh my gosh, he's going to kill this guy. I'm mainly thinking about the gas station scene. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so tense. Like you've only really had one other scene with this character and you've seen what he's capable of. So then he goes into the gas station and he's not a jokester. And Woody Harrelson says that later on. He's like, this guy does not have a sense of humor and we can definitely see that. But with this gas station clerk, he's just so cold, so menacing. He's not saying, I'm going to kill you. He's not saying anything like that, but you just know. And the clerk is 
a true innocent. Yes. I mean, well, I mean, in the sense that he has done nothing no. to to deserve. He hasn't. He's been very polite, very helpful. Done nothing to deserve anybody's um, ill treatment, much less murdering. Well, in every action, every act in that scene, you're right, Lev, is really menacing. And the the lack of music. Remember, it's like a 170 minute movie or whatever, but there's only 16 minutes of music, and that adds to the tension. But he's eating these cashews out of this little little packet, and he crumples up the paper, and he puts it on the counter, and the camera shows the paper uncrumpling, and it's almost like that. It's so scary. <laughs> it's just, just terrifying. <laughs> yes. And also, I think, really, the fact that his character, that's a good point Woody Harrelson makes, because he doesn't have a sense of humor. I mean, a lot of times, I think films um, show psychos, especially all the all the serial killer movies almost show a lot of times psychos that are almost funny. They make these funny yeah. comments and everything. And I know it's done for entertainment to kind of lighten the mood probably a little bit, but I'm sure in real life, I mean, basically people who are that evil and that cruel, they don't have a sense of humor and they don't have any, they don't care about human beings at all. That's the whole idea. That's yeah. the difference between like him and Woody Harrelson. He's a, He's a professional killer, but he probably has somebody he's fond of. You get the feeling that Javier Bardem has never cared about anybody in his whole life. And that is a, that's, it is a monster, but there are people out there like that. Not many, thank goodness. Well, going to motivation, it wasn't money and certainly wasn't, you know, sex or it wasn't drugs. He was just in it to do the job. And, and that's what makes do. it such a dark, I mean, it's a really dark film, which is funny because Cone Brothers, again, they're known for comedy more than anything. I mean, we just talked about Lady Killers character. last week. Like, it's so different than this. <laughs> yes, yes. You could say that. It's, it is different than the Lady Killers. <laughs> Very. But yeah, it is such a dark film. Well, and also the fact that it was set in 1980. Because mm-hmm. the other thing that it does, I think that's really important to re- remember because the things that he does... There'd be such a dragnet. I mean, they'd have the state police. They'd have the Texas Rangers after him, you know. But it was 1980. You know, the internet wasn't around, so it wasn't as quick. So it's even that's believable. But, you know, he, he burns cars with people in them, you know, and things like that. And just he leaves a trail of bodies everywhere he goes. I guess what the point I'm trying to make is it accentuates the aloneness that everybody felt, all the main characters. In other words, there wasn't yeah, that's a good this point. team of, you know, let's bring in the FBI or let's bring in, you know, the National Guard. I mean, this is this is pretty bad. That, And I think it really showed, it was believable that he could get away with what he did in the vast West Texas expanses. They, they filmed some of it in Marfa in that area. It genuinely looks they like did. Texas. Yeah, And I actually was going to say how location really plays a big part in it too because Tommy Lee Jones's sheriff character is just so used to this gang and drug violence and stuff like that that he says I mean that's their business you know and like obviously he's gonna try to solve it but it's not like this immediate thing that he needs to do because he's just like they're used to seeing five dead bodies from cartel people in the middle of a valley and stuff and like I guess that that's how, we should explain that's how the film begins yes. with uh the josh brolin character coming upon these such an yeah these idiot five yeah it's five dead bodies and a dog sad and a dog yeah and then he goes back to them and that's when everything just goes very badly. But well, it was for the one he was with good intention going back, and the one good deed he tries to do, he gets paid for in, exactly. in, in, in a bad way. But a really funny fact, actually, is so this film came out the exact same year as There Will Be Blood by Paul Thomas Anderson, 
which these two films have always like, I always get confused because they're both Western. They're both set in like Texas, Marfa area. And they were filming at the same time. And there was a scene in There Will Be Blood with a really big oil explosion. And apparently like the fire and smoke and dust from that affected the No Country for Old Men shoot. And I just think that's kind of funny because No Country for Old Men ended up getting back at There Will Be Blood by winning Best Picture of this year's Academy Awards, which, I mean, I'm sure they weren't bitter, but it's just a weird fun fact. That is a... And that's that's one of the few... I would say it's one of the few Best Pictures of the past 20 years that people actually would see again. This is like the second or third time we've seen it. And I think that's an example of... You have to have a good story that people... Something that draws you back to watch it, a rewatch. Right, memorable characters too, yeah. Yeah, I think Javier Bardem's uh, just evil character. I know, and didn't he win Best Actor? Yes, I mean Best Actor. Yes, he also won Best Supporting Actor. So I think that people like go back to him because they remember him. You know, Josh Brolin, like he does a really good job in this film, but I don't really remember him. I'm probably I think he did a really good job. Yeah, but, but I mean, um, he, he's not supposed to be memorable, really. No, and he, yeah, he was uh, talk about low key, but he was an example of somebody who had skills. I mean, he was an army vet. He was a tough guy, but he was no match for a psychopath. Yeah, and it was, it was interesting, too, that they the Coen brothers went back to their very first movie, which go to strangeloveofmovies.com to check it out if you missed that podcast episode on Blood Simple. It was very reminiscent of Blood Simple with a budget of $30 more million or whatever, you know, because it was really dark and, and lighting and a lot of scenes at night and just desolate places and, and very... So many motels. Yeah, very creepy. Yeah, some Barton Fink thrown in there, you know, and certainly Fargo as well, this tale of revenge and just kind of somebody being pursued. There were all these elements, but it all came together in this one very, very well. Agreed. And I have to say that there are two other people that, two other characters or, or um, cast members that I think deserve mention yeah. too. The, the wife of the Josh Brolin character was played by... Kelly McDonald. Yeah, she was so good. She was excellent. I mean, she just, you really cared for this young woman. I mean, she just was, seemed just small town girl and, and you really cared about her. And then also, he just was in one scene, but. Is it Barry Corbin? Barry, the, yeah. yeah. Uncle and, Ellis, he was his uncle, right? Yes. And he just, he did such a good job. He Amazing. was this, like injured policeman retired policeman and he gives his his nephew who's tommy lee jones some um really sage advice and i think that scene more than anything gives the theme to the movie one thousand percent what a great scene honestly it's probably the best written scene in the film just because of yeah yeah i actually wrote it down he says you can't stop what's coming and it isn't all waiting on you yeah. Sounds like life, doesn't it? Or yeah. No country for old men. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. It's yeah. true. Yeah, and there were a couple of other good lines. I can't remember if that was from that scene, but it, I think it was Tommy Lee Jones saying it. They died of natural causes, pause, natural to the line of work they're in. Yeah, that's that when he was yeah. talking about the yeah. cartel. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Amazing. And then one more. That's okay. I laugh myself sometimes. There's nothing else you can do. When he's talking mm-hmm. to his deputy, Wendell, and uh, he yes. tells him also, age will flatten a man. And that's yeah. kind of the theme of the story as well. He's, he's, he knows he's seen better days and he can't keep up. Yeah, like life is getting ahead of him. He's, he's good at what he does, but he, he really can't keep up with the, the dangers that are coming. True. And let's get into a few spoilers, but hopefully you've seen No Country for Old Men. It's a classic. But if you haven't, 
Go watch it. It's on some sort of streaming platform, I'm sure. And don't listen to the rest of this. Let's talk about Josh Brolin's death. Yes. Brilliant And filmmaking. that may have been, that if the other scene wasn't the best, that was probably, in some ways, maybe not the best written, but the best... Executed. Executed. Oh, that my That was a great... Gosh. In a way, it was a non-scene. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was more powerful for what it didn't show. And the line right before, I tell you, for some reason, that sticks in my head where that woman's by the pool inviting him to drink some beers, you know, and he's like, no, I'm married, man, whatever. She says, uh, she's just looking for what's coming. But no one ever sees that coming. That was the last thing said. And then the mm. next thing you know, there's this crazy... Somehow, rather, Tommy Lee Jones is going there to help him, to protect him. And uh, all you, you see s- some people jump s- into a shooting truck. Shooting automatic weapons and, and going away. Because there's this other subplot where it's not just Javier Bardem, who's, a- who's after Josh Brolin. It is the cartel themselves. And... And you don't even see their pursuit except for one scene. And sure enough, they catch up with them. And because he's stolen some money that yeah. was theirs, I guess. Yeah. And so that was. Why didn't he check the money bag? I know. I know. All of a... this would have been solved if, one, he hadn't gone back for the water. But I guess they would have caught up with him either way. They would have because he still had the. Because of the transponder. Yeah. And it's the a money transponder. Bag. Again, 1980. And that was really menacing, too, where he's just driving around looking for him when it starts beefing. That was so tense, wasn't it? Awful. I didn't know they had technology like that back then. But yeah, yeah, that was terrible. He should have checked the money bag. Always check the money bag, Strange Love listeners. (laughs) Obviously. Yeah, check it for money for dye, right? Like they did in, uh, what was it, uh, Raising Arizona, where it (laughs) it blows up. That was funny. Or, uh, yeah, a transponder, a device that will help people locate their missing $2 million, whatever it was. Yeah, I really do think that No Country for Old Men is just the best. It's like the combination of all of Coen Brothers, like what they do best. I mean, there's not that many comedic elements, but there are a few funny parts. Oh, yeah. And they just do such a good job with, I mean, every little thing. I mean, it. yeah, it takes some of Blood Simple. It takes some of Raising Arizona. It takes some of, what else is there? Barton Fink. Barton Fink, for sure. And then films that come in the future, I'm sure, take something from this. But I don't know if anything can beat No Country for Old Men. No. I think Fargo, the reason people like that, it may be a little bit better than this one, is because it is more yeah. a comedy yes yeah. it's so dark it's such Talk a dark comedy dark. but yeah. it is pretty funny it is it is you will laugh when you see that that yeah you're right i mean mostly it probably takes from fargo with the yeah deputy being or the sheriff being a nice person and you're rooting for them and stuff yeah. and uh, and this really yeah this has even it has a couple of nice people and tommy lee jones certainly is a heroic figure but it's hard to feel sorry for anybody in this, which is interesting. You know, it's like it's good versus evil, but it's also it's it's kind of a it's a tough world out there. And there aren't many people who don't get in trouble. There aren't many people out there who get in trouble who aren't kind of asking for it, I guess. And it's true. Sort it's of funny because to, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, his name is uh, Edward Thomas, but of course it's Texas, so he goes by Ed Tom. <laughs> yeah. Everybody calls him Ed Tom. <laughs> That's so uh, Texas. It's a Texas thing, you know? <laughs> now, can we talk about names for a second? So the character of Josh Brolin, his name is Llewellyn in the film. And obviously that was his name in the book. That's why they used it. But then a few movies later, which we're going to be talking about, is Inside Lewin Davis. And I need I want to know if there's a connection there because it's not a common name. And I know Lewin and Llewellyn are different, but they're so similar. pretty similar. Yeah. So I don't know. We thought that was pretty weird, though, when we were watching it this time. It was interesting, yeah. Any final thoughts? I have one more thing, but y'all can go ahead if you... All I'll say is I think, yeah, it's such a great movie. And I think one of the best things about it 
really is the ending and the fact that it has a different ending than any kind of movie I've really seen because it leaves a lot of questions and a lot of things unanswered, but it's not gimmicky. It's not like it ends and you don't know if somebody was killed and, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're shot, but you don't see whether the shot hit the body or what. I mean, it's not, it's not just kind of a, a trope, I guess. It really just ends at a point where you kind of figure that one of the characters, maybe the character who is seen more as the narrator, Tommy Lee Jones, he's basically kind of, his story ends. And I think that's the way most people's lives end. You can't, you can't um, finish off everything. Yeah. And in a way, and I may not be saying this in a very articulate way, but if you see the movie, you'll understand what I mean. I don't, it's not like trying to trick you into wondering what's happening. It's just kind of like, okay, this is the way things are. You retired, it's done. Right. Well, and also taking the flip side of that, you can view it as an allegory of of just pure evil. You're not going to eradicate evil. You're you're just not. It's just going to be there. But that doesn't mean that that evil will go unpunished either. Right. I mean, it, eventually right. what goes around comes around and you just got that sense that, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't like a superhero shows up and, you know, gets the bad guy and, you know, and everybody. But he's weakened at right. the end and yeah. you get the feeling eventually, yes, the that, end is coming for him. There's more good than there is bad in the world, but he's, he's kind of just done with it. And that was a really touching scene. And Tommy Lee Jones was nominated, too, for uh, Best Supporting Actor, and he he probably would have won if Javier Bardem hadn't been so amazing, right? But but he's great at the very end where he tells about that dream of his father. And when he's talking, yes. he was talking as if it was real, and you could tell his father was long, long gone. And that shows, too, that he's closer to the end than the beginning. So crazy. And then the, so good. The, the classic, uh, again, without overthinking and going into the territory where we're totally unprepared to, to analyze, but the, the poem by Yeats, that's what it, the, 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 uh, the title, No Country for Old Men, it's called Sailing to Byzantium. Oh, and yeah. that, that's all about the, um, the ideal of, of Byzantium was like, you know, Constantinople, mm-hmm. right? Where everything worked for a few minutes. Where a city of gold. The city of gold and people yeah. uh, of all, anybody who wanted to learn could, anybody who wanted to work could. It and, was the capital of the world. And that was, what, that. thousands yeah. of years ago. <laughs> and and right. so this was anything but an ideal place. It was the opposite of it, really. But to think that people at one point had those aspirations, and yet even there, it was no country for old men, the idea that you, you need youth and vitality to push things forward. Pretty right. dark film. One more fun fact. Um, this is one of the few Coen Brothers movies that didn't have Francis McDormand, John Goodman, or Steve Buscemi, or yeah. really any of the, or the few other regulars that it didn't feature. And that's, yeah, that's unusual. John Turturro, nope. No. No one. No, that's right. But jo- Stephen Root was in it. He's yes. the guy you will you recognize from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He was the DJ. Oh, the blind yeah. Guy. He was in it in a, in a small role, but uh, important role. And But it is funny. Yeah, most of the main people you won't recognize because you won't know them. I wonder what their regulars thought of that one being the one that won the Oscars. They're probably like, oh, typical. No, I'm sure they're happy for them. But it's so funny. It is. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to say about it was actually talking about the ending and how the last, I mean, scenes we see of um, Llewellyn's wife and then um, Javier Bardem 
Oh my gosh, what a dark scene. Yes, and that was another one where you don't what see you what don't happens. See makes it more frightening in a way. It's so sad. We don't know what he did. It's probably nothing good. He did check his boots, though. I remember last time he checked his boots. Checking it for blood? Yeah. Or, uh, sad. Wait, speaking of blood, what's your fun fact about blood? Oh, yes. One of the, more, one of the biggest expenses, I don't know if it was millions of dollars worth, but they, uh, one of their biggest expenses they realized on, on the set was blood, uh, fake blood. It was $800 a gallon. Because apparently the way they normally use it, or Hollywood does, it's real cheap to make something look like blood, but it has sugar in it. And they had these extras wearing this blood spatter and all the ants were getting on them. Oh, <laughs> oh, they were attracted funny. to the sugar. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> yeah. That sounds painful. Which is uh, ironic because his name was Anton Chigurh and then he mistakenly said He's sugar. He said sugar. So there you yeah. go. Yeah, that's right. Wrapped it up neatly with a nice little bow. Wow, that's wonderful. Let's rate this film so that we don't go on too much longer. Thank you guys for listening to Strange Love Movies. But... I would give this film probably a five out of five. I think it's so good. It's so well done. The ending gives me chills just thinking about it. Every character is like so well-rounded. Good movie. Yeah, I think I'd give it a five out of five too because it was, again, one of those rare movies that is actually entertaining and and yet provocative, mm-hmm. um, thought-provoking, I guess is, is more accurate. And um, you have every emotion when you're watching the film. It's true. And five out of five what? I know. I realized oh, we forgot to do yes. that. Oxygen canisters? Sure. Yes. Okay. I too would give it five out of five oxygen canisters. And we've mentioned this before in this series where a lot of these films we saw originally when they came out. And I remember being a little, not so much disappointed. Maybe I just didn't feel like I understood it. And I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resolve next time I see a movie like that to not watch it immediately, but, you know, reserve judgment and watch it again. Because there have yeah. been several, several films that didn't care for and then I ended up really liking. And uh, we'll be getting to one of them next week, too. Yeah. Burn After Reading. But the idea that, think about that when you see something that, why is it that you didn't really care for? It's not because if you hated the character as well, if you hated the story, you could walk out of the movie theater or, or stop the movie. But if it's something deeper and, you know, you don't want to think about too much, but it, it makes you think. That's a good way of putting it, thought-provoking. And you should uh, give those movies a second chance. And, yeah, it really is uh, an amazing, amazing work. You should see it. Yeah, you really should. So thank you for listening to Episode 12 of Strange Love Movies' Coen Brothers series. Like Dad said, next week is Burn After Reading, which is a completely different film than this Oscar-winning movie. Burn After Reading Note 1, no Oscars. I can tell you that right now. Have a great rest of y'all's day. Follow us on Instagram at Media and visit our website, strangelovemovies.com. And before you go, just remember to always check the money bag if you steal money from a drug deal gone wrong. Bye, guys. <laughs>